This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Monday, April 8th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Red flag laws are meant to help authorities take guns from people who may pose a danger to themselves or others. Cato adjunct scholar David Kopel studies gun laws, and he believes these red flag laws pose enormous challenges to due process that we should all enjoy. We spoke following his congressional testimony in March. Well, a red flag law is sort of like uh, the Department of Pre-Crime from uh, uh, the movies where guns are confiscated from people who haven't committed a crime, but there is concern that they may either – they may commit a crime against someone else or uh, commit suicide. All right. So what are the parameters that governments use in order to judge whether or not somebody – Uh, is at risk of suicide, which of course is something to take very seriously, or at risk to commit a crime, uh, which we should also take pretty seriously. Well, the the laws vary from state to state. And what I was in town for today was a hearing of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee to give funding to states that enact these laws. And so my testimony focused on the best practices versus the worst practices in states that already have these and encourage the Senate to fund laws that are based on best practices and not the worst practices. But good laws uh, have a fair due process hearing and require a a high threshold of, of proof about the accused individual. Now, now, to the extent that these things go to court or end up in court, which, of course, I, th- I think they, they all do before uh, a, a gun is seized. Is that right? That, that's right. It's all, it's all based on a court order. But one of the, uh, the key issues is do you do, as Donald Trump once said, uh, take the guns first and have the due process later? Or should you have the due process right from the very beginning? And my point of view was that ex parte orders, that is orders where there's only the accuser in court, should be done only rarely when there's a showing of specific need in that particular case and that in general, uh, ex parte should be disfavored and we should have a hearing with both sides uh, before someone's constitutional rights get taken away. All right. So, uh, you know, a lot of these court hearings, there's only one side that is presented. Uh, That's exactly the problem. And when you have one-sided court hearings by default, like a lot of the states have set up, then you you necessarily get a high error rate. So for example, in Connecticut, which was the first state to have a law like this starting in 1999, of the cases that are issued with ex parte hearings from only one side, then a, a few weeks later when the individual gets a chance to present his or her side of the case and introduce evidence and maybe cross-examine hostile witnesses, 32% of those initial confiscation orders are reversed. And you have similar figures from Marion County, Indiana, which is Indianapolis, and that's Indiana's the second oldest state with a law like this, and almost all the confiscation in Indiana goes on in Marion County. So we have very high error rates on the ex parte hearings, and I urge that congressional funding incentivize states to move away from this automatic do ex parte approach and instead use only use ex parte only when there's a showing of necessity. What is it what are the standards of proof that are used in these kinds of hearings? They can can vary a lot and they can go as, you know, low as what Senator Feinstein proposes in her bill S506 
which is another uh, proposed funding bill before Congress, and they would simply require a finding that there's a danger, which is very different from the bill's title because the, the bill's title is ex extreme risk protection orders. And my view is if you're going to call something an extreme risk protection order, then it should be about extreme risks. And uh, my view is the general burden of proof ought to be clear and convincing evidence, which is a strong standard in civil law. And that's a standard that is just as – should be just as applicable at the two-party hearing where the accused person gets a chance to stand up for herself. And it should also apply at an ex parte hearing because at an ex parte hearing, there's only one side in the room. And if you can't win by clear and convincing when you have no opposition, then there's no way you'll ever be able to prove a clear and convincing case uh, ever. So how do you suspect uh, states would move away from this? If they're receiving federal funding to uh, fund elements of their red flag laws, what are the mechanisms that states would use that you think would make them go away from this automatic due process? Right. To move away from the automatic denial of due process at the beginning, which then gets can get even worse because lots of states have laws that say after this ex parte hearing, you have to send out the police to confiscate guns from an individual's home. And so this individual has no notice of anything until you have a knock at the door at 5 a.m. and somebody says, I'm from the government, I'm here to take your guns. So hopefully federal funding incentives could induce states that have these laws to improve them and better protect constitutional due process and public safety. And obviously the hope of the sponsors is that these federal funding would also induce some of the states that don't have these laws to enact laws uh, consistent with whatever the bill says is uh, the baseline for due process. Perhaps it's a reasonable concern that uh, you know these guns ought to be confiscated just based on the assertion of one individual, somebody who maybe uh, sees themselves as a potential victim. And I think that's, uh, as I said in the Senate Judiciary, the, the best model uh, for that part of the process is in Connecticut where confiscation petitions can be initiated by two law enforcement officers or by somebody from the state's attorney's office. And either way, those law enforcement officials must have conducted their own independent investigation. Now, anyone can come to law enforcement and ask for it, but we don't want a situation where in hostile divorces, romantic breakups and things like that, somebody who's just angry can, can misuse the system uh, against an innocent person by filing a petition on their own. I think law, having law enforcement as a gatekeeper in this is uh, an essential, not sufficient in itself, but it's an essential part of due process protection. What precedents do we have for this kind of, of law? Well, I suppose the general law of restraining orders for all kinds of things, like in federal rules of civil procedure, you can get a restraining order, a temporary restraining order sometimes under an, an ex parte basis based if you show sufficient need. And the judge is certainly going to ask, uh, why are you in court and the guy you want me to issue an order against is not in court? Why didn't you give him notice? Why can't he be here? Uh, why should I give you something when I'm only hearing one side of the case? And sometimes the petitioner in that case will be able to show to the judge why it's so important that the order be granted immediately ex parte and that we should have at least that level of protection when constitutional rights are being 
taken away. David Kopel is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.